Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Gallagher Jr. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate everybody who's been listening for uh, the entire year, and we hope to get out some really cool podcasts in the future. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his songs, The Coach, in Flatlands, which is available at steveazar.com. And don't forget to get Only One Shot, the book by VJ Trolio. It's available on Amazon. Clay Homan is from Fulton, Mississippi, which is fast becoming the golf mecca of the South, so to speak. There's just a nine-hole golf course there, and has getting quite the reputation of grooming some pretty good players. Allie McDonald, who recently won on the LPGA Tour, Chad Ramey, who's number nine on the Corn Ferry Tour list for 2020. Clay won five Mississippi State Ams, four Mississippi Mid-Am titles, and an all-SEC collegiate career. He coached at Rice, and then eventually at Mississippi State, spent 18 years in the coaching uh, industry. And let's see if we can get Clay on the phone. All right, Clay, got you on the phone. Welcome to the uh, Only One Shot Golf Podcast. Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be on and good to, good to be talking with you. Well, your journey, your golf journey, I should say, is quite the journey. You started in Fulton, Mississippi. Uh, who got you started playing golf? You know, I, I think it was just because, uh, you know, there was nothing else to do in Fulton, Mississippi besides go to the country club and hang out with your buddies. And in the 1980s, there really wasn't a whole lot going on. And so you uh, you just were looking for something to do. But So between playing nine holes of golf and swim and then go back and play nine holes of golf and then swim, that was pretty much our daily routine during the summers. But uh, that's we, we just kind of – we were all pretty much self-taught um, and then – Got a few lessons here or there sprinkled in at, uh, by Mike Shannon, who was at Tupelo Country Club at the time. But but other than that, we were just pretty much all self-taught. You know, you mentioned that. we got Allie McDonald, an LPGA winner, Chad Ramey's top 10 on the uh, Corn Ferry Tour. There must be something in the water, and you've got to tell me what the secret is, if there is something. Cause, and you've got some great athletes in other sports as well up there. I don't know. What's going on up there? Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to give you a straight answer, but I really can't tell you um, – you know, Chad and Allie were certainly a different era than when I grew up. Um, but it just seems to be in Fulton, there's just a lot of competitiveness. Uh, people love to compete, you, you know, just real, real uh, competitors. They don't, uh, uh, you know, don't like to lose. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that culture at Fulton Country Club, uh, we always, you know, at least I did um, back in the early early days, we, we always were playing for something. We were playing against the older men at the club they were always really pretty good and uh, we just nobody liked to lose because you you heard it from the other guys mm. you had to have some thick skin and you uh you know uh if you lost you heard about it and it was just we just it was just competition and uh a lot, a lot of good golfers and you know something about that golf course it just uh it, it, it you learn how to be a shot maker mm-hmm. uh we didn't grow up with there's no driving range there there's no a putting green about the size of your kitchen table. Uh, so we didn't grow up with a lot of mechanics. Now I can't say that about Chad and Allie because they did, they, they grew up in a structured teaching environment with BJ Trollio, uh, at old Waverly. So I, I really can't put them in my category, but for, for the rest of us, we, we grew up just playing the golf course, playing a bunch of holes, learning course management, learning how to hit off of uneven lies, learning how to, to, uh, you know, the course management because you hit it over any green it's like an x because it just drops off to oblivion and so you you learn how to play the game keeping the ball below the hole on these on these severely uh slope greens and that's just kind of how we learned to play 
Well, there's something to that because I, I remember you coaching and I'd come over and, and everything and, and got the players today, they just they spend a lot of time on the driving range and I don't know if mm-hmm. they spend enough time playing. And that's a perfect example. It's like the course I grew up on. It was an 18-hole golf course. Of course, my dad was a pro and an instructor, but we didn't have a driving range, so you played a lot of holes. And I think, mm-hmm. to me, you got more out of it sometimes than you did if you just beat balls all day. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You you learn to uh, to, to adapt to to the golf course you're playing and and uh you know like i said hitting off of we we didn't have the perfect grass a lot of times we were playing off of dirt lies and, and you just learn to to uh accept the conditions no matter how good or bad they they are and uh for for nine hole golf course it's, it's not a bad little golf course but uh you learn how to work the ball because all the holes are short but they all bend so mm-hmm. you, you just you you became a shot maker um and i still think you know i, I would say ali and chad they had to grow grow up shaping the ball. You know, you straight a straight ball. A lot of times will get you into trouble, and uh, you just have to be creative. And I think I think that uh, it, it taught you creativity. And and uh, I, I would say that would be one of the biggest uh, biggest things about growing up at Fulton Country Club. That's and, and, and then mind. you go and then you go on to play at Mississippi State. Uh, what was that experience like for you? Um, you know, it was overwhelming at first. My first year, I wasn't, you know, I was probably the second best player in the state, uh, uh, behind Patrick Lee, who was, uh, uh, who, he was an all American at Oklahoma, great player. Um, but being the second best player in Mississippi still wasn't good enough to be one of the top players in the SEC. So that first year was a big learning uh, curve for me. I was, uh, I was nowhere near ready to play SEC golf my first year, so I was uh, fortunate enough to redshirt and learn, be under some some good players that are now on tour. Uh, Doug Barron, uh, he was a teammate of mine, uh, a fantastic player. Um, uh, Robbie Ware, who's a rules official on tour, he was on our team. We had a bunch of really, really good players, uh, so I, I sat and, and watched them and learned from them. Um, and then, you know, as I became a sophomore, junior, and senior, I was able to play a lot. And by the time I was a senior, um, you know, uh, Greg Martin, I got, I had a, I had a really good uh, college coach my last year and a half who really, really brought me along. And uh, I learned a lot through him and was able to play and have some success my last year. But uh, um, it was a, it was a great experience there at Mississippi State. I, I wouldn't trade trade that experience for anything. Well, you mentioned, I mean, you you. you... At Fulton, you watched older players. You learned from them. Same thing at Mississippi State. So mm-hmm. there's a lot to be said about that, and I think that's great advice for our listeners, kids out there listening. Play with some of the older kids and the adults, and you you can learn a lot from them. Uh, you decided to turn pro. When did that kind of enter your mind that you maybe want to try to play professionally? You know, I would say probably the my last semester of college. Uh, I was you know I was fortunate enough to win. A time one time and uh had another chance or two i could have won and and uh i realized that well maybe i ought to give this a chance and uh you know i, I gave it uh you know four or five years and uh again I, I wouldn't trade that for anything was it a bad decision or a good decision i would say probably a good decision because it let me know that uh, my talents weren't good enough to play on the pga tour and then i needed to try to do something else but i put that to bed and and I learned an awful lot, which uh, helped me become uh, a coach. Um, and uh, so it was a good experience. I uh, learned that there's a lot of good players out there uh, that, are, that never even make it to the PGA Tour. Uh, we, we grew up you know, playing with uh, guys like Jim Chancey on the uh, uh, on the mini tours down in Florida and, and uh, you know, 
Greg Town and Roger Rowland, guys that a lot of people have never even heard of that can flat out play, and that they, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it takes a special talent to be able to make it to the PGA Tour. And that's a tough life plan to many tours. I mean, you're not making much money, and you're trying to find sponsor money, and you're you're actually just trying to survive and, and, and make it from week to week, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a tough life uh, for those that stay out there and do it for years and years and years. Um, you know, you you're not you're not getting rich and you're not getting comfortable out there. You have to uh, go out and earn it every single day, and uh, that's the great thing about golf. There's no contracts. You just have to go. You know, make your own money each and every day, and, and uh, you know. But uh, it, there, there became a time where I realized I need to my path in, in life needed to change, and uh, uh, so I was able to uh, to to uh, go coach golf, and uh, was able to coach at Rice University for three and a half years, and uh, that was a great experience. And uh, one thing led to another, and I ended up back in my alma mater, and uh, for 14 years I was at Mississippi State, which was a was a complete privilege to be able to to lead a, a team like that for uh, for that long what were the pressures when you came back to your alma mater you said you had some pretty good success at rice and now you come back to a school you love and and spent four years playing what were the, what were some of the pressures early on yeah i mean you, you know uh i took it hard you know i you know i was uh, i was like i was a, a, a player myself because you know i i realized what it was what it felt like and what uh what it meant to represent you know the maroon and white, and uh, so I, I took it hard. I, I wanted to win. It was just as competitive as if I were out there myself playing. And um, you know, we had some uh, some okay success the first uh, probably three or four years. We had some guys that you know had played on tour: Matt Fast, Carlos Sainz, uh, and some other players. That uh, we had a, a good nucleus of players, and we we did okay. But at the time, I really our facilities were nowhere near. Uh, at SEC caliber facilities, uh, they were we were sharing a driving range with the, the public at a at a university golf course where we only had like 15 uh, hitting bays, and we were we were out there trying to to jockey for position to to get a bay off of an unhe- uneven lie, uh, hitting range balls that were uh, limited flight, and it was just you know it was a struggle. And uh, you know in 2011 we got some significant contributions to upgrade our facility at the university course. <clears throat> so that helped us uh, take another step. And then uh, I think it was in 2015 uh, we opened up our facility, which is now out at Mossy Oak, which gave us our own building, our own hitting bays, our locker room for the first time ever. Uh, and that's and, and now we're we're on par with. Uh, some of the best programs in the SEC as far as facilities. And uh, Mr. Bryan uh, being so gracious enough to allow us to, to set up shop there at uh, Mossy Oak. Um, and they, they maintain it and manicure that facility as if, as if it were their own. It's a, it's a great situation we have there. And you got two wonderful golf courses in Old Waverly and Mossy Oak. How big of that's – a, that's a big deal for – for Dusty Smith and and, and uh, Charlie Ewing now with recruiting, that has to be a big advantage compared to where you had it. Uh, and, and you got guys coming in there, and, and even the, the gals that come in there, and you show this facility and these two golf courses. It's in, in Mississippi State itself. That's a big advantage. One hundred percent. Yeah, you just uh, I mean your top tier golf courses right across the street from each other, um, and the members embrace uh, Mississippi State athletes. They they enjoy having them out there. Uh, and the kids are able to reap the rewards of, of being able to play two championship golf courses uh, on any given day 
they're completely different, which I think is good. Uh, they one of them's more of a link style, uh, not very many trees, uh, heavily bunkered. Uh, you can run the ball up, whereas Old Waverly's more of a traditional style where you force carries onto greens, uh, water, and that and, and so forth. So it's uh, you get two different extremes of golf courses, and uh, which allows them to uh, you know to expand their uh, talents and, and learn and, and get better. That has you got to be proud because you were a big part of that. You you mentioned the first stage over at Mississippi State University course, but to see that facility finally built, and, and although you didn't get to, you know, reap the benefits of it, but you had to be proud to know that you got that started and got it finished, and and now they have that. That's be a pretty proud moment for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we tried to do our homework as as, as best as we could. We went around and toured other facilities uh, around the con- around the country, around our conference. And uh, we we got with architects, and they they put together something we thought would would be uh, you know beneficial on a daily basis from from hitting bays to lounge areas for you know, locker rooms, um, coaches' offices, um, you know recreation rooms, uh, and that sort of thing. And I, I think I think we hit it right on the head. Uh, of course, you can always go back and say, well, we should have done this or that or a little different. But I, I think overall, I think it's, it's very, very functional and it's a, it's a beautiful facility. And if you've never been there, uh, it's, uh, it's something to see. Well, you know, I've talked to a lot of coaches and it's it's part of the equation to have facilities like that, multi-million dollar facilities. But you're finally getting some backing from the athletic department. I think that's huge. Uh, and golf's on TV now. Uh, you, you know, the NCAAs are on TV. I think that's on the Golf Channel. It's a big deal. Uh, so golf is a big part of, of, and they want success. And I think that's, and, and you're in the best conference or one of the best conferences in the country. I think you've got to do that to keep up. And I remember talking with Mr. Bryan for years. I said, you know, you all are 10, 15 years behind. And if you don't build something like this, I know it seems crazy, but if you don't, you're never going to catch up or, or have a chance. And it's just great to see it. I know my, my daughter, Mary Langdon, didn't get to be part of that new facility. She got a little bit on the other facility. But uh, I just saw with Kathleen had at LSU, and everybody's got great facilities. So it's, it's, it's good to see Mississippi State do that. But you mentioned you're a player yourself. So you've got these kids that come in. They've got their instructors. Did you work with them much on golf swings? Were you there more on the mental side of it? You know, How did you balance that? Because that's always tough when they come in with an instructor, and you're a good player, and you understand the swing as well. Yeah, that that is a that is kind of a balancing act, and, and that's why I think you see more and more coaches now who not aren't necessarily players. I think it's it's starting to shift toward you know um, you know guys that are great recruiters, guys that uh, understand the game, um, understand the mental side of the game, but are not necessarily players first. They're more so of, of managers um, uh, and recruiters. I, I think that is uh, with social media that is a you, that's a must. You've got to get out there and, and hit the ground running with uh, recruiting. You've got to you've got to send out, uh, you know, you've got to promote your program through social media. That's a, that's a huge part. Where when I first got into the business, that was that wasn't even on the radar. It was, uh, you know, being a coach. And mm-hmm. now now you see most of these players come with with coaches, and their parents spend an awful lot of money. And you don't really want to get in between their the money that their parents are spending on these coaches and the relationships that they've built. Uh, but at the same time, you you are around the players more so than the coaches. So you you kind of have to be uh, another set of eyes, and you have to communicate with their instructors to to understand where they are and to be able to 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 relay what's going on when when the coaches are not with those players during competition. So 
you know, there can be a, a, you know, you can relay the information back to the coach. And so you're, it's all part of being on the same team and we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to get better. We're all trying to, uh, to get the best results possible. But uh, when I first started, there wasn't as much of that. So I was you know, involved a little bit with their, uh, with their swing, some uh, more so with their short game and course management. Um, but even now uh, these, these guys have their own short game instructor. They have their own mental coach. They have their own swing coach. So it's, it's just trying to uh, all be on the same team and all pull in the same direction and not, well, they got iPhones and they can FaceTime. I think that's one. Of Absolutely, the, that's a big advantage. But you know, your teams made, had 13 wins, multiple NCAA appearances. You had All Americans. But uh, the biggest, another thing that's part of coaching is you're there to kind of mold young men, uh, mm-hmm. it, and that's a big part of it. you're hitting them in, in an area where they're away from home for the first time. And there's a lot of challenges to that. That's a big responsibility for a coach. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you're you're with them. I'd say golf, a golf coach is with their players more so than any other uh, coach in any other sport. Um, you know, football coaches are with their players three or four hours a day during their practices, and then you know, then they don't see them anymore. Well, we travel with them. We're 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 on a ten hour bus ride with them. We're uh, getting up and going to workouts with them in the mornings. We're you know a lot of times when I first started, I was their study hall. Uh, <laughs> instructor make sure they went to study hall so we we were by the end of the season we were ready for a break from each other we we are around each other more than just about any other any other person and and you have an opportunity there to you know to you know to mold i guess you could say uh these young men and, and influence their their lives in a positive way and um you know you get to know their families you get to know uh, you know what what they're all about, and like I said, you're spending all these times in airports and bus rides, and, and these golf tournaments are four and five days. By the time you get there, you play and you get home, so you're you're around them all the time. So the, the relationships go beyond college. I have so many of my players that I talk to on a on a daily and weekly basis, even still. You know those relationships are are deep. Yeah, Steve Spurrier said, uh, and I'm a Tennessee guy, and he beat the tar out of my teams a lot. But he he said, uh, you know, he knows he was as successful as a coach when his ex players bring their kids to meet him. And I think there's right. a lot to be said about that uh, because, you know, I've seen kids leave co- college and they don't even speak to their coach ever again. Uh, yeah, they had a bad experience. But and I've seen, like our coach, Coach Malarkey, uh, you know, and coaches in his 70s, he's probably close to 80. And we still get texts from him periodically. I'll be doing a golf show on the Golf Central, and he's critiquing me or telling me about my orange tire and this and that. But we had a nice relationship. Now, it wasn't always smooth when we were there because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're 18 to 22 years old. You, you get away from your parents. You don't want to hear someone else telling you what to do. But mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that's a balancing act. But, you, you know, when you look back, you had so many – you had a lot of good players. Who were some of the best players you coached? I know that's a tough question. Yeah, it is a tough question. I, you know, I would say the most consistent player, without a doubt, is Chad Ramey. Um, you know, I, I, I could see that from the very beginning. Um, he, he's just uh, even out on the on the Corn Ferry Tour now. He's one of the most consistent players out there, and uh, so without a doubt, he would be uh, the most consistent player and most. I wouldn't say most talented necessarily, because I think there's some others. That uh, the kid that just that just left Mississippi State, um, Peng uh, Pichakul, he was probably one of the most talented, physically gifted players who hit the ball really, really high, really, really far. 
nice touch around the greens, um, and I, I, I see him doing big things in the future. But uh, but day in and day out, Chad Ramey um, also coached uh, Carlos Sainz and Matt Fast, who both um, have been on the Corn Ferry Tour, the PGA Tour, uh, fine young men, lots of talent, um, fun to be around. Um, you know, Noah Goldman, he won, I think, four or five times in college. Uh, just a competitor, probably not the most talented, but just unbelievable short game and unbelievable will to win. Um, so it was, you know, you, you see, uh, you know, a lot of them did it different ways. Uh, a kid from I had from um, Iceland, um, Alex uh, yep. um, Axel Boasen, hit the ball as far as you could imagine. Um, a lot of lots of talent there. Um, I could go on and on, but those are those are ones that stick out in my in my mind. Yeah, I remember when Axel came in. I don't even know if he had the proper equipment. He had like an S shaft or something ridiculous. He was. He he showed up at the at the golf course with a S shafted uh, uh, Titleist three wood, and uh, that thing would wrap around his neck <laughs> top of the swing. He was putting <laughs> so much torque on it, and I was like, "What what are we what are we working with here?" So we it was a that was our first priority was get him the clubs that actually fit him. Yeah, that's always a challenge. You, you mentioned Matt Fast; he's an assistant coach at Houston now with uh, Jonathan Dismuke. And it's it's cool to see some of your your former players get into coaching. I always thought Matt would make a good coach. He's just got that good guy, laid back personality, and a lot of knowledge. He's got golf experience knowledge. But how were you able to balance? Because you were still playing well. You, were, I think, you won four state ams, five mid ams. How were you able to keep your own game up? Uh, did you play a lot against the guys? Was that always yeah. a way of keeping? Yeah. Sure? Absolutely. When before I started having kids, uh, you know, when I first got into it, we every time they teed it up, I was playing with a group. I was trying to play with different groups every time because I felt like that was the best way for me to really get, uh, you know, uh, an idea of how they were playing and what they were thinking. And you know, when I'm seeing the shots they're about to play, and, and I could really, I, I think I could really get into what they were trying to do and understand what they were trying to do and help critique them and, and, and make them better was when I played with them. And uh, so I, I played all the time and kept my game pretty sharp. And, uh, it, you know, we always – we loved competing against each other. I mean, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and uh, uh, you know, as I got a little bit older and, and uh, our team got a little bit bigger, I think we were carrying like 13 players there toward the end. Uh, I, I, I didn't play as much with them and, and uh, you know, to keep the group sizes down. But uh, I was always out there with them. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I like, I like competing as much as you know, with them. Cause it, you know, that kept my game sharp. Yeah. Buddy Alexander used to tell him if you couldn't beat me, you couldn't play on his team and, <laughs> and he was a good player. So that wasn't really a fair statement. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, you like, but you get to see what they're doing and, and while they're playing, I, I mean, you do in tournaments and it's always, that's always the challenging part when you were coaching at a tournament. Uh, I've seen you know they stand on par threes. How much input did you have while the tournament was going on, or did you just speak to them when they wanted to you know talk to you? Well, Jim, I probably tried it about a hundred different ways, and you know I, I would like to say this is the, was the perfect way. I, sometimes I'd stand on par threes, and then sometimes I, I felt like well that's probably making them nervous or something. I want them to be relaxed, and then I would say okay let's let's go to par fives where there's maybe a little more strategy involved on whether you know where do we lay it up or do we try to go for it. I tried it all different ways, and I tried to walk with a certain player who I felt like could could use a little bit more 
um, you know, structure throughout the whole round. Uh, so it was, I tried it all, tried it all. And I, I don't know if there's a perfect way. I see a lot of coaches now that, that pick a player and just stay with the player the mm. whole round, but I was never that way because I felt like, well, you know, these other players might need me as well. So, um, and, it, and when I first got into it, I didn't have an assistant coach. So it was just my, myself out there. Um, and that, that was another thing when, when I got an assistant coach after about, uh, uh, ooh, eight years of coaching, we finally got an assistant coach, which, uh, and I'll go in and talk about that. You know, Sean Kovic was our first mm-hmm. full-time assistant coach. He's the head coach at, uh, University of West Virginia or West Virginia University. Um, and he's doing a fantastic job. You know, like you said, Matt Fast, assistant coach at, at Houston, Noah Goldman, assistant coach at, uh, Oregon State. That's so right. Yeah. It's just, it's just a great feeling to know that, uh, you know, what little impact I might've had in their careers in a positive way, hopefully. And, uh, glad to see them all doing well and in supporting their families, uh, by, by staying in coaching. Well, you had a big impact. What are you most proud of when you look back at your coaching? Um, you know, it's, it's just the relationships I have with the kids. It's not the wins and losses. I mean, that's, uh, uh, that's, that's, that's doesn't really mean, mean anything to me. Um, like you said, the, the, the facility upgrades, I feel, feel like I had a little bit of a hand in that. Um, I'm proud of that because I, I think generations uh, will come and go and, and they'll be able to use those facilities. But more more so than anything, just the relationship I had with the players. I, I tried to try to treat them like uh, like they were my younger brothers um, because when I first got into coaching, I was only 27 years old. Uh, so, uh, you know, I wasn't too far removed from, from them. And as I got on older, I was in my 40s and they were – 17, 18 years old. So it, it was it was time for me to get out, but uh, I really enjoyed the relationships with, with the players, and I still, like I said, I still have a lot, a big relationship with a lot of them. You mentioned family. Is that part of the, the decision to retire after 14 years? 100%. Yeah, 100%. It was, it was time for me to raise my own children, and uh, 18 years was enough, and uh, I, I really believe it's, a, it's more of a young man's profession now because – you have to spend so much time on the road. Um, you're constantly recruiting. You're you're traveling. Um, you know, if you do the job properly, you're 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 on the road a minimum of eighty to a hundred nights uh, out of the year. And that was just a something I was ready to uh, to give up and start raising my own kids and spend the time uh, with them and being their dad. Are you still and playing any husband. golf? Are you getting to play any golf these days? Because you've got three. Um, a little bit, a little bit. I, I play more scrambles now than ever before. Uh, <laughs> I take you every day in a scramble. <laughs> so uh, you know, playing my own ball. I think I play. I played at the Greenwood Invitational at your home course this summer, and I, I think I finished in the top uh, seven or eight, which I think was not pretty good for, for an old man. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I still enjoy it. It's um, it hurts a little more than it used to, but. Uh, I still enjoy getting out there. Yeah, try 59, bro. <laughs> Wait till that club head speed gets down to 103. <laughs> You're trying to figure out how to carry it 255. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going like I think I can, oh, I can't carry that anymore. <laughs> you can visualize it, but you just can't. Actually. It's just my brain and my body ain't. They're not matching up. It's just a problem. Right. I, a, I relate. It's a it's a game for a, a lifetime, and I think for guys like us that were competitive, and you, you see that kind of happen. And if you don't play any. I think that's a big part of it too, uh, for some of our adult listeners. If you're not playing all the time, your your body's not going to be able to handle it when you get out there. I think there's playing shape. I think that's part of it, as much as anything. Don't you? A hundred percent. I played in a, a, a three man scramble just this last weekend, and 
you know, my hands were red after I got through playing. I'm mm. like going, I wonder why, because I, I haven't held a golf club in a month. Uh, just, you know, just not building those calluses up, and, you know, just, uh, you know, so it's, uh, you, you definitely get yourself into playing shape when you're playing a lot. And uh, I, I hope to get out there more and more, but uh, I still enjoy the game, still enjoy watching it. I'm, I'm really enjoy, enjoying watching the, uh, the SEC golf that's being on the golf channel. That's fantastic. You get the best teams in the country all playing against each other uh, on fantastic golf courses. You get to see some some outstanding golf. What do you think of the fact that all five playing together? They did it at the Blessings. Do you like that? You think they should do that more? I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I think it's good. I, I think it's uh, much easier on a coach to be able to coach his team mm-hmm. because they're all right there together, um, and you uh, you can you can communicate with them better, and you can teach, and you can. You know, uh, you know. At the end of the round, you know exactly. You saw all uh, whatever two hundred and something shots. Um, uh, whereas, you know, you, you miss a lot of that, those at the end of the day when, when you when you're talking to your team about how they did that day. Well, you probably only saw about maybe five percent of the shots that your team hit. Whereas you saw, if you're coaching, you see a hundred percent of the shots. So right. it's um, it's a it's a much easier deal to coach um, now. I think I think that these guys get maybe get a little more too comfortable maybe playing with their own teammates, whereas mm. that doesn't prepare you for you know professional golf when you're you're not playing with it's not a team deal right. and you're you're playing against other players against the top players so it doesn't really prepare you for that but uh, you know I think it's good I think it's easy to follow for for the spectators uh, you can kind of see what they're doing a little bit easier and you can keep track of the scoring a lot easier that way but. Uh, Oh, I think it's I think it's good. Yeah, every once in a while, I think it's a good idea. But you, you've got to, you're in the family business now. I've taken up enough of your time. Uh, we appreciate you being on the podcast, and I always kind of like to end it on this: whether in life or golf, you uh, may have only one shot, and you got to make it count. And that's the book uh, VJ Trollio wrote, "Only One Shot," and uh, you need to get that on Amazon. But Clay, appreciate your time, and uh, I'll take you in a scramble any day, buddy. Uh, I'll take you as well, Jim, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on and. Uh... I wish you uh, and your viewers all the best. All right, buddy. Thanks for being on with us. Okay.